Welcome from the Rookery End. My name's John. With me is Jason. Hello there. And Michael. Well, that was nice of Watford, wasn't it? To, uh, for those of us that weren't able to go to Palace on Tuesday night, they were able to, to recreate for 20,000 people something five times as bad. So that was so we can all share in the, uh, the Watford-themed misery. So thanks very much, guys, and a Merry Christmas to you all. <laughs> this is a podcast about Watford FC, and these are our views uh, as Watford fans, uh, lifelong Watford fans. And we've seen a lot in our life of being Watford fans. Let's talk about the game we've just seen, as Mike uh, alluded to uh, Watford one, Oddersfield Town four. We've had a, a, a game like that before against them uh, here at Vicarage Road, but like you say, Mike, it was it almost felt like the beginning of that game was a hung, hangover from Crystal Palace away. They just it, it didn't miss a beat. Like they, they'd gone into cryo freezing, woken up, and just gone. Let's continue the way we were. Uh, I mean, look, let's make it absolutely abundantly clear. Huddersfield's away form is appalling. They haven't scored away from home since the first day of the season when they won at Palace, and they haven't won since. This was a good opportunity for us to uh, get back to some sort of semblance of uh, winning ways after a, after a difficult difficult time, and we completely and utterly blew it. It was just an appalling performance from start to finish. I think if you wanted to uh, create the anatomy of a bad performance... That was it. I think the only thing it didn't have was a howler from from a goalkeeping error, but it had everything else: crap defending, lacklustre in uh, in midfield, bad refereeing decisions. Uh, it just had. It was just an abject, abject afternoon at the office, and I'm as irritated as I am concerned because you mentioned at the top there. We talked about that game uh, when we lost four one at home to Huddersfield. That this was worse. That game was at the end of the season. They were all they'd all given up. It was the end of a, a crappy season under Beppe Sonino. It was it was just everyone had given up, so everyone's sort of like, whatever. We're, what, almost halfway through the season and we've got people strolling around the place just finding it all far too difficult. But the, the person who sort of was going to get some blame on the Twitter sphere, Jason, um, maybe too easily, uh, is the lovely Mr Oliver, our referee for the day. Big early decisions. One particularly was the first goal onside. Uh, then a red for Troy, which... The club described, uh, described as incredibly harsh. Can we blame the referee and feel good about ourselves? Right, I, I don't think we can blame the referee. He didn't have a great day at the office either, but I think that's just a, that's, that's a, that's a side conversation for me. It's an afterthought. The, 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 the main responsibility of the defeat lies squarely at Watford's door. We, we were, as Mike says, very, very poor today. If you want to talk about the referee, I, he did make some bad decisions. To be honest, I thought the worst decision he made was the second yellow card for yeah. Jonathan Hogg. <laughs> he, he, Richarlison has done well. He's nipped in front of him and Hogg's not knowing he's there. Hogg's going for the ball. He's not, he's not got it and he's caught Richarlison. Never a second yellow card. Exactly the same in the way that Decore got caught for their penalty. Decore, bad first touch. Yeah, exactly. Ball got away from him. Didn't know the, the attacker was coming from behind him. He's, he's nicked him. He's given a penalty. Didn't book to Corey, did he? Let's, let's clear no it up. Let's clear it up. He, he, I thought the referee had an absolutely appalling game. And I think um, I think the penalty was the wrong decision. I think the hog this decision was, was incorrect. I think there was definitely offside for the first goal. I'm in no shape or form going to blame Michael Oliver for that performance because we should be able to take all those variables out of it. We play well, but his decisions don't don't matter. What I would do, what do want to point out, and something that 
annoyed and upset me is I don't think the Troy was the Dini sending off was was correct. I think he got that very very wrong. I had the benefit of seeing. You have named four bad decisions he's so made. He did, he did make, but refs make bad or they get it wrong often. You know, it just happens. It's a fast-paced game, stuff going on all the time. I tell you what, I refed for my for Arlo <laughs> the other week right, yeah. in the under sevens, right? Oh, right, okay. And well, uh, hang on, have we? Has Mike gone over to the dark side? <laughs> will Will he be able to sympathise with referees? Oh, I can, I can. <laughs> Because the ball was obviously ricocheted off, you know, a player. I, I saw who it came off, and you end up second, second guessing yourself. You say, "Oh, did I actually see that?" So, <laughs> this is an under sevens game where they don't keep score, and I was still sort of stressed about the uh, about getting decisions right. So, I do have sympathy for them, uh, but what what really disappointed me, and I think that where there's an issue with some of these refs who are starting to posture a bit and starting to be conscious of how they look. That red card was out within seconds of that of the guy being on the floor. He'd running over. He had a poor view. I was in line with him. I was in the in the in the, in the Elton John today towards the back. He had a bad view of it. He was a long way away from it, and that red card. He was in his reaching for his red card before he'd even started heading over to the incident. He didn't give himself time to think about it. He didn't give himself an opportunity to speak to the linesman. He didn't have a, give himself an opportunity to assess what had happened. He was desperate to give the red. Running along, you know, red. It was, it was a. It was like a. It was just a set piece almost, um, and that really, really irked me that he just made that decision far too quickly. Give yourself some time, assess the situation, and then right. If you have spoken to your linesman and it's yep, can, you confirmed exactly what I've seen. That's a red card. So I thought that was um, disturbing, and I think we see it too often. You know, this posturing from refs, and they're, they're all too happy to be sort of front and centre. Yes, they want to be seen to be definitive. Yes, they want to be seen to be stamping out foul play and, and dangerous behaviour. 35 minutes gone in the game. You're going about to make a massive decision. Take some time. But that said, that, that's fairly major rant for saying we're not going to do that. <laughs> a podcast made by Watford fans for Watford fans from the rookery end. My son is called Arlo. How's the injury? How's the head injury? You all right now? He's fine. Full recovery. He's got the uh, all clear from the physio. He's just back from a uh, clinic in Switzerland, and they've, uh, <laughs> yep, he's uh, ready and raring to go. So, uh, well done, son. Uh, yeah. So Mike's surname is Parkinson. His son called Arlo, uh, and this is our feature, Michael Parkinson. Ho ho ho! It gives me great pleasure to welcome once again to Michael Parkinson, Arlo. Arlo, how are you doing? Good. Now, as we said, as we've alluded to, Christmas is coming up. But my question for you today is: If you had to buy one Watford player a Christmas present, who would you buy it for, and what would it be? It would be Ferrari, and I'd give it to Etienne Poo. Why is that? Because he's a good player. Well, let's hope he has a good performance against Huddersfield today because we know he's uh, he's playing. Arlo, thanks very much for joining us and happy Christmas. Bye-bye and Merry Christmas to you too. Well then, Arlo, a small <laughs> bone to pick with you, Mr. I want to give Etienne Capu a Ferrari for Christmas. <laughs> A Ferrari, I wouldn't give him the spare tyre off my malfunctioning Zafira <laughs> after that performance. And I think we'll no doubt go on to talk about the defending, which I think was lamentable. But on a day like today, when the team, down to the bare bones, the team virtually picked itself. We knew Etienne Capu was going to start in midfield. He knew who he was going to start. He knew who he's replacing and what he's replacing. And that is an energetic, hard-working midfield unit. And Tom Cleverley puts in a lot of work. 
gets up and down the pitch, he puts challenges in, he makes a nuisance of himself, he's not, you know, he's no, by no means the best midfielder in the world, but the amount of work he puts in is integral to this football side. We know Decore's struggling, so he was going to get a bit of support, not struggling in terms of, I think he's tired. And what did we get? We got, um, we got the Etienne Capoue we all, we, we're, so, we're so familiar with. And I'm not digging him out because it's Etienne Capoue. Um, I think Carrillo, I think, was equally poor. I think for the first 25 minutes, it just the game passed those guys by. And that was the time to, to take a grip of the game and let Huddersfield know that, look, we can, we're down, we've got injuries, we've got seven or eight missing, but you're not going to just roll us over. We're too good for that. They just let it, let it slip. It was an opportunity for them to prove that they're, a, they're an integral and important part of the squad and to maybe keep a, keep a first-team shirt. And quite frankly, I thought, the, um, I thought Carrillo was poor and I thought Capoue was even worse. Um, this is the sort of thing you expect to see at the tail end of the season uh, when it's been a long, hard season and they're thinking about holidays, thinking about their next contract, thinking about their next club. Uh, it's unacceptable. You've obviously singled out players there. But for me, I was disappointed. I thought the whole team just yeah. didn't look up for it until Hogg got sent off when yeah. we were already 3-0 down and there's 60 minutes gone. Yeah. And also, I think we as fans weren't great today. I think the, the, the Huddersfield fans, yeah. the away fans, I thought they were fantastic. Yeah, Some were. great songs. I think it's the first time I've ever heard the Sex Pistols used as a, <laughs> as a chant. And they, and, and they were at it from the off. And, and they got the result they deserved. We just seemed to be a bit flat and thinking about our Christmas dinners already. And I think what happened on the pitch and what happened in the stands is probably a reflection of each other. We just, just didn't look up for it at all anyway. And again, I'm not trying to find it out here. I know I can't blame the referee. We've agreed on that. But can we just say, look, we are Watford, who have a one of the best squads we've ever had, but it is a limited size, and when you get the suspensions that we've had, third game in a row with a red card, when you have the injuries that we've got, all of a sudden, a threadbare Watford, you sort of expect to be... to be But not to be the same as it's been, and coming off that Crystal Palace game... Do you not expect them to be that little bit fuzzy at the beginning of the game and worried and tense and just not... You, know, you, you can't just forget about that. You'd worry so, about that. So look at, our, look at our midfield. So we had Capoue starting today and then the next option is on the bench is Watson. Those two were starting for us in our first season in the Premier League. Maybe a little bit fuzzy, but not fuzzy enough to be losing 4-1 at home to Huddersfield Town. So. But they are the fifth and sixth choice. No, maybe sixth and seventh choice. We've got a strong squad. I'm not having, I'm not having this. The, you know, we're, you know, we're down to the bare bones. We've, we've, been, we've been so positive about how deep this squad looks. And we said, right, mm. we're able to have a real tilt at this. We spoke in um, after the, the Tottenham game about who we're going to have to bring in and how we're going to have to rotate. And I don't think at any stage we were thinking, oh, this is going to be horrendous. We're going to have to bring in Etienne Kapoor. Oh, God, you know, we're down mm. to... These are... These are players who who should be performing better. Think about what Huddersfield Town had to do to get into that 2-0 lead. Bugger all. Absolutely nothing. They they strolled into it. The, the yes, the first goal was offside, I believe, but the defending was 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 pathetic. Equally poor for the second, if not worse, in fact. Completely, well, they, 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 completely they, they, they let the ball go over and, and they just so disappeared. Yeah. Flat-footed, they got down the wing, and then no one's picking him up coming through the middle. It is just playground stuff absolute basics ignored um, and that sort of performance yes absolutely we had seven eight potentially nine players who might be in the first team unavailable or not playing but that you don't look at that side and think oh Christ this is going to be a difficult afternoon yeah, yeah, no, because exactly. of the personnel yeah. that is not acceptable anymore we're three years into this Premier League project if you like and the strongest squad we've ever had yeah well they shouldn't be performing like that 
it's, football's a difficult game, and you know, it, you, sometimes I, I just I just came out late, and you saw some of the you saw, you saw some of the players. You forget how athletic, how big, how tough these things are. It's easy for us, sort of wrapped up in the stands, watching sometimes. And there's always we're always playing against another team, but Huddersfield didn't have to do anything to win the game at all. We hand it to them on, on a plate, and I think that is a, a hugely concerning trait because it's happened last year under, under Mazzari at the same time. He sort of started wilting, and the second half of the season was a, was a slog and was, um, well, it was just appalling, wasn't it, last year? And it happened the same again under Kike as well. As soon as it got Christmas, the, the no, team... They, but this, this is starting before Christmas. Exactly. This is, we are in our slump. We're well and truly in our slump at the moment. This didn't start happening after we beat Liverpool about this time last year. It didn't start happening after, you know, post-Christmas no, no, no. with Walter. It's starting a little bit early. The cracks. And I'm trying, to, I'm trying to figure out what... What has made these things happen? Can we just put it down to, you know, cleverly being uh, suspended and uh, and Chalabar and the strength that we had at the beginning of the year with some young players who are playing a lot of football? Uh, are, there, are, there, are those sort of questions we put into it? Is it? It's was it? Was it? Was it the whole thing that happened with Everton and and, and and eyes being taken off and heads being elsewhere from not just the manager but also the players thinking is he going to be sticking around? Too many of them don't fancy it, John. That's, but, so, that's why don't fancy, so why don't you fancy it? So why don't you fancy it? What is the thing that makes you not fancy it now than you did, which they clearly all did? Back in August, because September, when, you're when you've just come on the back of a two-two game winning streak and it's and it's sunny and things are going your way, it's great. You get that telepathy going. The back heels come off. You're running into space. You're rolling off players, and it all happens. You know what it's like. Anyone who's played sport or done anything, when you're at work, sometimes you you've got to write 300 words. Sometimes they roll off the typewriter, <laughs> off the typewriter, <laughs> <laughs> off your word processor or whatever it is your kids are using these days. Other days you're sort of there thinking, oh God, it's it's it's, it's difficult, but you have to push on through and you have to write those 300 words whatever sometimes you get right as block you know when you're playing sports sometimes it doesn't quite go for you but you have to dig in and, and work it and I think what summed it up perfectly was for their third goal Mr Horabas had a had a choice stand up and defend and we'll deal with his supposed facial injury afterwards or sit down and let them score what did he do he sat down and let them score it's you know, I don't want to go overboard. No, um, yeah, yeah. Just because you know, we people lose football matches all the time in the Premier League. It's not not easy. But I just thought from start to finish that was an abject performance. And I think Jace is right to say that the team as a as a whole weren't, weren't at it and weren't good enough. But I also think it's, you, you do have to point the finger at uh, uh, individuals who I, I think have. I think we've been let down. I think we've been let been let down this afternoon. And I think to blame the crowd, Jace. I know you weren't blaming the crowd. I wasn't blaming the crowd. I just felt that the atmosphere uh, was flat at the start when they were bouncing at the start. I agree. But 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 that's that's good. You know, that's not that's not neither here. Okay, okay, I'm gonna do it, Mike. You know, we we we've said you've changed. Uh, now you have sympathise sympathise ref, sympathise referees. <laughs> uh, I always want to find some positives out of it, Jason. Coming out of that game, going into our next game away at Brighton by the seaside, returning to where we won our promotion. It's going to be good vibes. What positives can you take out of this game that you know either was there spells, were there players, were there, there things that we can sort of take forward to the next one? Um, I'm, I'm struggling. I, I really am struggling to take any Bobby P. from that. Bobby P. Bobby, yeah. But even then he, he made some strange passes I think that was more because he was having to play quite deep um, it's probably it's probably positive that he's still fit and that Gomez is still fit and that we didn't get anyone else sent off after Deeney but Decore is out now Decore is suspended yeah 
Yeah, it's hard to take any positives from that game. The, 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 the positive is, I think, right, OK, I've got one. It is just one game. It's, it's a dreadful performance. We've only got 0 points out of three for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, so we've got the chance. We've got the chance to go again next week. The next game is Saturday. It's away at Brighton. We'd fancy ourselves there because we've got. We know we're, we've been pretty good away from home. Okay, we're going to struggle with suspension and injuries again, but it's a clean slate. We don't start four-one down after the first minute. So, let's give it another go. Let's get back on the train. We should have had. We should. It should have been four. Four goals to one and a half, really, because that was some hit from uh, from Decore, wasn't it? And I think I think Jason's right. I've sort of taken the time to uh, wipe the spittle away from my, my mouth and calm down a little bit. I think you know we, we talk about Everton, we talk about um, Crystal Palace as the games that have really really hurt us in terms in terms of throwing points away. Chelsea to a lesser degree, and I think we probably feel a little bit aggrieved we didn't do better at Burnley. But in all those games, we actually played well. There's the, there were positives to take from it, and there was you know we were excited by the performance, even if we didn't get the result that we wanted. Um, I think that's the first time today, even looking at the you know even getting drubbed by Man City six 0 we didn't play that badly on that occasion. That was just another worldly performance from from City. Today was the, I think probably the first time we've played badly from from first whistle to last. So I think we can take take some solace in that. The only thing about it is that it comes off the back of of disappointing outcomes where we've shown a bit of a a combination of a bit of naivety which I think we've got to be realistic if we want the free-flowing football and the goals that we've enjoyed so much unless you're Barcelona, Real Madrid, Juventus, uh, Man City you're not going to have an attack that can do what we've been doing and a midfield that can do what we've been doing and a defence that can keep it tight it's just not going to happen we're always going to be open and um you know, I've, I've defended us for that. Our, 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 our um, defensive record's been very poor, but I'll take it because we've been in games and we've been doing really well. So I think we have to accept that we're always going to ship goals if we play like this, and I'll take that. But you see, Huddersfield today, and I'm not exaggerating, started nicking minutes, started nicking seconds after 12 minutes yeah. at 1-0. They were taking time out of the game. If Huddersfield, everyone does it, Everyone does it. The keeper goes from one side to the other. He gets a telling off. It's frustrating. We've seen it. Everyone does it. It's not rocket science. And the way that we've managed games has been has been disappointing and naive. I think we should have come away with more points in that little run. So now we've got that little disappointing knot of where we haven't we've shown ourselves not to be quite professional enough or not switched on enough to see at least two out of three or four games through to get something. And now we've we've followed it up with a completely abject performance. If we'd had bounced back today, you'd have said, right, okay, good, we've we're back on track. We've beaten a team we probably should beat, and and everything's fine. But what we've done is followed up on naivety, a lack of ability to see a game through, with an absolute horror show. Like you say, the question you were right to to ask what the issue is, and it and it does coincide with uh, with Marco Silva's a sort of dalliance, if you like, with with Everton. I'm not going to put it down to that. I'm going to say that they are all professional enough to to get on with it, and they've got a job to do when they go in on a on a Monday morning. And I'm not thinking they go, oh, Marco. I don't think that happens. But since then, it's all gone. It's all gone wobbly, hasn't it? And it was it was going swimmingly before that. You know, I think back to Southampton away and Bournemouth away and. Um, Arsenal at home when you know we were the players were playing for each other and it's just it's gone very very wrong very very quickly but the problem is it's gone very wrong very quickly again we're here at the standing in the same spot at virtually the same time of the season 
having the same conversation and we're questioning players again and we're questioning whether they're willing or able to, to see to execute game plans or whether they simply are interested enough I don't think a player goes out to perform badly but I think um, they might not go out at 100% themselves you can commit more than that you can commit more than that when there's a ball there you're either you know Kapu does that thing where the ball's coming to him slowly <laughs> and he leans into the defender hoping that he's, the ball's going to come to him and someone's I, just going to nip that's and that's a good it. point actually sorry to interrupt you there that, that was something that I, I just in the first 20 minutes a day there was way too much waving and wafting of legs at balls yeah, exactly. <laughs> how many times did a Watford player just sort of stick his leg out without moving and misjudge it and just watch the ball sort of drift yeah. past him. That was woeful. Yeah, and that was after 20 minutes. So that's the level of... That's when you start to wonder. There's no denying the talent. There's a professional footballer playing in the Premier League. But that's when you question their, their absolute bottom-line commitment, whether that sort of guttural instinct to go out there, to, to, you know, the, to give the 100% without question. I don't think that's there at the moment with some of these boys. Yes, we're missing key players. Yes, we're, we're struggling with suspensions. Um, yes, we had some dodgy refereeing decisions, but come on, fellas, you've got to be better than that. You've got to be better than that. We're the Orns, you're the Orns. Come on, you Orns! If you uh, subscribe to Haunt Heaven, you would have seen a reissue uh, in your podcasting app uh, for the last Christmas's uh, a special, uh, and a new one is coming out next week. Uh, and uh, it's all set where another team's heaven collides with ours, and Haunt Heaven uh, merges uh, with another one. Uh, uh, and here's a clip from the podcast due out next Friday, the 22nd. On Christmas morning 2017, Bill Mainwood strolled down Occupation Road towards the ancient turnstile. He was on his way to find out whether Christmas Day and Boxing Day were going to be as troublesome as in 2016, when Hornet Heaven collided with Hatter Heaven. When he arrived at the ancient turnstile in the slick black wall of the stadium, Bill stopped. Someone was standing on the far side, calling out to him. You've got to let me into your heaven. My club's a shambles, a disgrace. I'm sick of it, sick of it. You've got to let me in. I'm begging you. So the heavens have collided a second time. We're out of the title race by Christmas. Again. Wenger should have left years ago. He's destroying our club. It's doing my nutting. Wenger? You mean you're a gooner? Are you saying we've collided with Arsenal's heaven instead of Luton's? A club with our history should be walking the league every year. But we're gutless, spineless. No cojones. I'm done with it. Done! I want to support Watford instead. you got to let me in. Please let me in. Please. Half time, we got to say goodbye, Jason, uh, to a Watford uh, legend, uh, Alex Chamberlain. After 21 years, he's leaving the club. Uh, really lovely seeing the clips of him uh, on the big screen, uh, reminding us of everything he did while he was while he was between the the goalposts. Absolutely, I, I, I will certainly always remember the uh, the penalty saves because there were two saves, weren't there, against Birmingham in the in the playoff semi final. That was that was a fantastic night. As a couple of other things, I I, I think I remember 
One, he's probably the only goalkeeper I can think of that started a game out on pitch. Yeah. Because when yeah, Stevie yeah, Palmer yeah. went in goal, we would have been the goalkeeper that night. So he was probably a little bit nervous that, that night. Um, that, that hasn't come up yet, I don't think. And also, we, we've been lucky enough to speak to him on the podcast. I, I also fortunate enough to speak to him at uh, a Watford Golf Day back in 2014. And he was he, the, the Watford boys were playing just behind our group. We won the wooden spoon that day. I'm not very good at golf. I nearly got hit on one of the holes by Albert Riera's drive. Now, we just we just signed Albert Riera, uh, and, and he was a very, very good golfer. And, and talking to Alec, there was a possible suggestion that he was actually a better golfer than he was a footballer. I'm not putting words in his mouth, but that, that may well be... He said something along those lines. And we did wonder if they'd just signed him just so that they could win the, uh, win the golf day. I don't know, but... Uh, but yeah, always, always a very friendly chat. We'll say we've been lucky to speak to him on the podcast as well, and he was, uh, he was very welcoming and entertaining that day. When I, th- when I think of him, I think of the obvious two moments: him running the full length of the pitch at St Andrews, just absolute joy in his face, two arms aloft, uh, which was just one of the most like magical moments as a Watford supporter. If you didn't live through that, you it's the most gut wrenching, heart wrenching, emotional roller coaster. And just to hit that picture of him, the clip of him encapsulates the relief and the release and the emotion that we all felt so I'll, I'll forever remember that and the, and the, and Wembley as well just his smiling face and he was kind of representative of Watford were doing I felt because he was a he was a nice guy um, he probably would admit himself never sort of spoken of as the best goalkeeper in in the world but here he was sort of riding this crest with, with Watford and a nice guy doing great things with, with our club and uh, yeah he's just He's just carried on ever since, hasn't he? He's sort of worked in various capacities at the club and it's another lovely little thing that, that we've managed to keep those those links and keep players involved and uh, nice to see him get a, uh, a send-off today. Surprised he didn't get brought on for the second half. <laughs> There's lots of uh, Watford groups out there, uh, people gather together to talk about Watford. We're one of them. Uh, for some reason we record ours and put it out on iTunes for you to download and listen to. Thank you for doing that, by the way. Um, we also speak to a lot of the uh, international Hornets and the, the regional Hornets who, who get together to, 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 to share their love of Watford. And there's a new group started off recently, the Proud Hornets, uh, for people who are members of the LGBT community. Uh, and we caught up with Callum, uh, who is one of the main guys behind it uh, after the game, to get uh, know a little bit more about it. So Callum, where did the Proud Hornets uh, come from? Me and another fan both saw a lot of other groups, so LGBT supporters groups in different clubs around the country, developing, growing, getting started up. So we felt that since Watford didn't have one and the big association with Elton John, being a gay man himself, maybe we should try and create one at Watford. What are the specific sort of needs of the LGBT ban? I think it's just to sort of make us more visible because there is no out player and the last one that came out was Justin Fashion, obviously who ended up killing himself. So just to sort of show that there is LGBT supporters, there may be an LGBT player and it would be good to give them possibly the confidence from groups like ours to see they'll be supported, there won't be abusers and also just from surveys that have been done recently you can see that more and more fans are coming around to be the idea, more open-minded and it's everything's progressing so groups like this are just to progress things even faster to make sure football's a game for everyone. Jason Irett to the uh, Football Supporters Federation and we sat on a table with a bunch of the boys and girls from um, Pride in Football yes. and it's really interesting sort of I, I wasn't quite sure why you know why a group was that, that was needed and then Adrian who I sat next to he sort of said well there's a phase in his life as a football fan where he was a teenager 
and he was going through trying to you know, find out who he was and all of a sudden football became a, a place where he couldn't go. Is it mainly a, a younger group might be part of this or do you think it's a range? It's quite a big range. Ours is quite a diverse range. I'm the youngest person active member currently of the Proud Hornets but I've seen other groups like the Gay Gooners and stuff who have massive mix of ages. Not just a young thing, it's for everybody. I think young people just feel more politically active these days so it might be one of the reasons why you see a high proportion of young people within the groups. Do you have much interaction with other clubs, uh, Proud Gooners for example, um, how much interaction do you have with those guys? Um, we have a fair bit and um, there's a big WhatsApp group with everyone involved so you can sort of, you know, ask for advice, talk to them, arrange meetups which you can do on across Twitter as well. We're hoping I think to meet Proud Foxes, so the Leicester one on Boxing Day and then that probably be the first proper one we've had, first meeting we've had with another group and hopefully we'll go from there. I think they're planning for the Brighton game as well. Some of our members are planning to meet up there gay supporters group. You said there in a WhatsApp group one of the things you, you use that for is uh, asking for advice. Have you found yourselves in, in a difficult situation where you felt uncomfortable at football recently? I've not felt uncomfortable at Watford, I don't think ever. I think Watford's quite a good, it's quite a family club so it's quite a nice one to be at as a gay supporter but when I've gone to other clubs with my friends I have felt quite there has been some pretty bad language going around, some pretty homophobic language. Uh, and if I was uh, wanting to get involved, the LGBT uh, supporter, what's the best thing for, for me to do? Well, you can find us on Twitter at um, Proud Hornets and we're on Facebook as well. And we've just started our Instagram account. We have our um, mailing list you can sign up to on our website. So if you're of an LGBT persuasion or just want to be part of a group or show some support for us, you can just follow us or sign up to our mailing list and... That's all we need. What's the next thing for you guys to get involved with? Um, hopefully it's continues to grow and the club have been great in supporting us and helping us with whatever we need. And so hopefully just continue from strength to strength, get more support on like, social media, more supporters joining the group and just try and make football feel like a welcome place for any Watford fans that might not feel particularly welcome for whatever reason. Uh, we go off to the, well, this is an annoying thing. When you get the fixture list in June, you want to see, right, when are we off to the beach? Bournemouth, <laughs> August, brilliant. When we go to Brighton, the 23rd of December. Cold, cold, cold. Uh, it's not going to be as bright and bubbly, I don't think, uh, as it was last time we were at the, uh, the Amex. We can hope. Is that about as good as it gets, Mike? It really is, because, as I've said, you know, I've calmed down a little bit and it's always quite cathartic after <laughs> these games to have this opportunity to event but that was a dreadful performance our squad is even more threadbare than it was today so Takore's out with a with a cumulative suspension Troy Deeney I suspect we're going to see that red card appealed and it may well get overturned but if it doesn't that's three games without him um, so we might see um, Big Steph making an appearance although to all those that saying uh, Stefano Akaka is the answer to uh, to Watford's woes I would point out that every time he's played for Watford this uh, this season we've conceded at least three goals <laughs> so yeah, hardly the uh, hardly the answer I'm joking of course but um, yeah I mean Brighton away they I mean they're they're they're, they're tough to break down so you'd like to think that, that Richarlison and, um, might, might fancy his chances but who else fancies their chances no one because there's no one else available you know it's, it's a real real challenge for us now we've got, to, we've got to dig deep and some of those players that we've been well I in particular have been less than complimentary about th th this evening 
have got to roll their sleeves up and I assume um, they will, you know, we haven't seen the team coach go past. I imagine they're still firmly behind the dressing room door. Marco Silva will not be happy with, with that performance. He will not be happy with another heavy home defeat, uh, another, another four goals in the against column. Yeah, I think we go very much more in hope than expectation to Brighton. I would take, I'd snap your hand off for a point. We just need to somehow steady the ship. We need to, yes, we need to get players back. But I think we need to, there's a lot wrong, isn't there? We had that little purple patch after we got it back to 3-1. And I, did, I thought we started playing at 2-0 as well after 20. I looked up and thought, oh, yeah, there they are. Yeah. 25 minutes, Carrillo started finding a few passes and yeah. they were drifting into space. And it's like, well, there you are, you can do it. Um, but they were 2-0 down. But, and even after that purple patch, after, we, after 3-1, how many saves did the keep have to make? Not many. I think that happens in a lot of games. We, we tend to score, but we score from our chances. The last time I was on the podcast was we were after the Tottenham game. And I think there's a lot more work to be done than I thought there was at that stage. I've got big concerns uh, about just how flaky that, that team was today. They've got to come out and, and prove a lot of us wrong, I think. They, they, I think, quite frankly, they owe us one. Jason, uh, which is the flakiest bit? The defence, midfield or up front? I think defence at the moment, it just looked so lightweight. The, the second goal summed it up for me. Oh, just uh, just the standing and watching it, what looked like a, a hopeful ball. We're all standing and watching it, and then the winger just comes from nowhere, goes past about three defenders, and almost, I think it hits Aaron Moy to go into the back of the net. He just sort of run onto it. it and and that that does worry me. Um, and uh, yes, it's, it's back to the injuries again. Isn't it? And I know people give Kabul a hard time, but I think he's an excellent defender. And I think we're missing him. And I would love to have him. What I think will happen because he's I don't think he's going to be fit that soon. I, it it needs to be uh, corrected in the transfer window, doesn't it? Yeah. We need to we need to dig in. This team now needs to dig in. I'm going to be really disappointed if. Uh, you almost get, it's a weird thing, I can't really describe it, you get sick of the kit, you get sick of the sight of the kit sometimes. <laughs> it's like I'm fed up of seeing that shirt. And I think, and I, that happened on Tuesday night, I thought, do you know what? I'm already thinking about next season. And that's what, happened. the kit? Well, you see the shirt and you think, oh God, it's this season. I hate, I hate to break it to you, Mike, but it's probably going to be yellow. <laughs> but I think you almost start thinking about next season again, and it's. I've, I've, it, no, I, I, I've, I've had exactly no, I've had exactly the same moments of thinking, what's next? And I think that's when you when you're down and you're feeling down, you think, are we going to get out of it? When are we going to get out of it? And it's just going to take a while. And okay, well, let's think about next season then. And that, and like, I, th- I know, you, I know why you're thinking that. I've, yeah. I've thought the same. So let's let's break out of that. And obviously on Twitter, feel free to mock me at Watford Podcast for uh, being fed up with, with the uh, with the kit already. It's, uh, but yeah, yellow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's come on. Get let's get out of this. I just want to see them work. I want to see them dig in. This has happened twice before. Last year, the year before that. Let's let's turn it around. It's not you know. It's not. All is not lost. All is not lost. We've got players coming back in in January, hopefully, that are, that are going to bolster us again. But we need to arrest this before before it gets before it gets too grotty. A Christmassy come on you horns. Come on you horns. Bunch of jingled bellends. <laughs> <laughs>